Hi, Pastor Chuck here. I want to say thank you for listening with us today. Hope this message from God's Word encourages you, challenges you, inspires you, reminds you of how much God loves you. This morning we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 to 32. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise, answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, The first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward, that ye might believe him. So in this passage, uh, this, uh, this parable, I guess you could say, this question, the story Jesus tells uh, mainly to the scribes and Pharisees is, is brief, but very sharp, very cutting. And uh, the background here, if you, when you get to Matthew 21, what you'll see is Jesus has gone in and he has gone to the temple and he's driven out the money changers. Uh, one of two times that he would do that uh, during his lifetime. One was more at the beginning of his ministry. This is the one he's doing here right at the end of his ministry. And uh, he goes in and he, he flips over the tables. He drives the money changers out, tells them that, is, that the, his house is to be a house of prayer. And they've made it into a den of thieves. And what he was really fussing at there was they had set up this uh, commerce section in the, the court of the Gentiles. The area that was set aside to allow other people uh, that were outside of, of Israel, that were not Jews, to come into a, a portion of the temple and find out about Yahweh, find out about the God that had created them. And they, had, they kind of said, well, that, that area is not important. We don't really want Gentiles in here anyway, so we're going to go set up this uh, this money changer thing. People can get uh, change their coins for the coins that are needed by the temple, or they need to buy a sacrifice. They can buy a, a sacrifice while they're there. And uh, so Jesus is driving them out uh, in, in uh, uh, almost, a, almost a violent way, if you will. And uh, after that, the... Uh, the scribes and Pharisees come to him and they say, by what power do you do these? By what authority do you do these things? They're challenging him and saying, who, 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 what makes you think you have the ability to go into the temple and do something like that? Whose authority are you claiming? The Bible even tells us that they were, they, they were doing this as a way to try to trap him because they knew if he said, I do this by the authority of God, that they would then have something to charge him with, to claim that, oh, he, he claims he's above us. He claims that he is uh, you know, God. And, and then I knew if he said, well, I, I just, you know, I do it by the authority of man, then they would be able to say, well, look, he's not anything. He's not a prophet. He's just doing this uh, on his own. And Jesus doesn't answer their question. In fact, he, he puts a question back to them, one that he knows has the same uh, challenge that they were throwing at him in terms of what the people would think about what he said and uh, or what might be twisted into what was said. And uh, he says to ask the scribes and Pharisees about John the Baptist, he says, who, do you, who do you say he was? Was he from God? Or was he from man? Again, answering their question without answering their question. He's saying, I'm coming in the same authority as John the Baptist. What do you think about it? Now, the, the scribes and Pharisees were in a, in a conundrum there. Uh, the, the, the scribes, uh, the, uh, the chief priests, I should say, uh, were in a political type role. They were being at this time appointed by the Roman government. So they had to, uh, to make peace with the Romans and also kind of keep the people satisfied as well. So they were kind of playing both sides of the fence there, being very political with everything. And it was a challenge to them to answer that question because they had already, already you know, clearly uh, ignored John the Baptist. 
In fact, when uh, when, when Herod, you know, warned, called for John the Baptist, had him arrested, and eventually, you know, cut off his head, they they didn't do anything. They didn't uh, challenge that. They were, you know, okay, that's that's fine. So they had already rejected him, and yet the people viewed John as a prophet, and so they couldn't really answer because, and that's what they even told him, we can't say, uh, because they knew that if they said, you know, he's of, of God, then Jesus would say, well, why didn't you receive him? If they said, well, he's a man, which is what they really believed, the people would kind of turn against him. So that's what the, the setting behind this. And so immediately after that, that confrontation and Jesus asking them the question and them saying, well, we're not going to we're not going to answer that question. This Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. And he starts it off saying, what do you think? Let me tell you a little story. And you tell me what you think is is the answer here. He says, a certain man had two sons and he came to his first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. So the common setting at that time, people would uh, have had vineyards. Uh, you know, that would be something that uh, would not be uncommon and everyone would probably be familiar with, at least would have known someone that had a vineyard. Um, and for him to go to his sons and say, okay, I need you to go work in the vineyard. That was you know, very common as well. He says, I want you to go. He went to his first son. He said, I want you to go work today in my vineyard. So let's, uh, as we get into this, remember this whole, whole story, this whole parable, is in response to a question about Jesus' authority. And then the son, it says, he answered and said, I will not. Now, can you imagine uh, what, the, what the audience is thinking at that point? This would be something that would really stand out to them, something that they would look at and say, oh, that's that's really bad. You know, they, they that, that was an offense that they could be punished for publicly. That was, uh, you know, the, the law stated, thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. All the days of the life, it was in the, that, that's something they could be, you know, charged with by the uh, the religious rulers there. He says, "I won't do it. I'm I'm not interested." But that was the young man's response. He was disrespectful. It was rude. He was just unwilling. He said, "No, I'm not going to go, Dad." You can only imagine the shock they would have had at that point of saying, "Wow, look at this person. What kind of a, a person is going to treat their their father that way, especially in in their society and in the the rules that they had." That was appalling to them. That was akin to, oh, that's that's really bad. He says, he said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. See, he, here he's showing the son that kind of rejects at first, kind of, ah, dad, I don't want to do what you say. I want to do my own thing. I want to, you know, just leave me alone. That unrepentant, that un, uh, ungrateful, that, that disrespect. He says, but afterward, he repented. This kind of reminds me of, of that passage I quote so much from Titus chapter 3, where Paul is writing to Titus and reminding him of, of the gospel message. He says, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Paul, Paul is writing to Titus. He says, remember, that's what we were like before we came to Christ. And that next passage in the book of Titus says, but after that, the kindness and love of God the Father toward man appeared. He says, that's what we used to be like. And Jesus is saying, here's a picture of most people uh, in their relationship with God. And where they start off, they say, I don't want anything to do with it. We want to do our own thing. We want to go our own way. That's the, the nature of man. That's where we find ourselves when we're, when we're bored. And as we grow up, we realize that, that we've been so focused on us. We don't have time for God. We don't, we're not interested in God. We, we just want him to leave us alone. People even challenge whether he exists or not. That's our natural state. But notice it says, but afterward, he repented. This, uh, this person he's talking about, this son, started off that way. Started off rude and disrespectful. But afterwards, he said, you know what? I, 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 need, I need this relationship. I shouldn't have done that. 
the word repented there is one that means to feel sorry for something, to uh, to regret something. And uh, it can also mean to change one's mind about something. That's hence the, the interpretation here, the translation to the word repented. He, he, he turned around. He went the other way. From, he went from, nope, not going to do it, to boom, he's working in the garden, working there in the vineyard. And, uh, and that's what, what the, Jesus kind of depict here is here's this person that rejected God, but then he changed. Have you done that? Have you let God change your life? Because that's what true repentance is. Repentance is, isn't shown by our words, what we say. It's shown by our action. It's shown by, in the New Testament, we can say the fruit of the Spirit. So we, we can know that we've been changed. We can know that we're letting God work in our life when we start to see more love, more joy, more peace, more gentleness, more meekness, more kindness. When we start to see those things. We know that, okay, we've, we, we've turned from our selfish ways and we're in the work. Does it mean we're perfect to all those at once? Of course not. But it means we can see God changing us and making us, the, growing that fruit in us. That's when we know we repented. Not when we stood up in front of a group and said, okay, I'm giving my life to God today. That, that's good. That's, that's all it takes to receive salvation is to, to simply call on Jesus. Say, I receive what you did for me. I believe your death on the cross is enough to cover my sins. But if we don't walk away from all the, the selfish things we've been pursuing before that, did we really put our trust in him? Did we really call on him? See, that's what, what God can't stand is, is somebody to say one thing and, and not really mean it. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. We, we ought to be a different person after we come to Christ. The second, uh, notice the second son here. He says, and he came to the second son and said, likewise. He said, uh, uh, you know, I want you to go work in the vineyard for me today. And he answered and said, I will go, sir. And he went not. This is... Jesus is pointing out that the first son, his, his actions were, were bad. His actions were, were detestable to their, their culture and their understanding of what he needed to do. But he eventually came back and did what was right. He eventually came back and got in right standing. But yet here's the second son that says, you know what? Yes, Dad, I'll go. Whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. But then he didn't actually do it. And that's what God says in, in Scripture. He says he can't stand uh, you know, the, that, that idea of saying one thing but actually doing something else. Maybe if you're reading through, you may remember in Matthew chapter 15, if you're, if you're caught up, um, in Matthew chapter 15, the uh, scribes and Pharisees come to Jesus and they're fussing about his disciples because they've gone through the, the fields picking some corn on, on the Sabbath and to have something to eat. And uh, you know, then they, they were complaining about him not washing their hands. And all these different things they were complaining about his disciples saying they don't do all these ceremonial things that we've set up for the people that, that, that follow God to do. And Jesus at that point spoke to them and he said, this people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips. Their heart is far from me. Let's examine our lives and say, we, we may talk a lot about being a Christian, about loving God, about following him, but does our life live that out? Is our heart in tune with who he is? Do we exhibit his love, his joy, his kindness, his gentleness, meekness, all those things? He says, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. That was Matthew 15. He says, they have a good, they sound really good, but their heart is so far away from who I am. God's not interested in us merely giving him lip service. He demands our whole life. Yes, he even deserves our whole life for what he's done for us. Verse 31 Jesus did, after he's told that short story, he says, 
whether of them twain did the will of his father. He said, which one of these two do you think actually did what the father said? And they give an answer there. It is, you know, pretty easy. He's letting them, you know, the ones that are challenging him give their answer to this before he shows them where they fit in the picture. And uh, he says, you know, which one do you think did the father? And they said to him the first. And then he points out who they are, that those that, that they view as the most wicked, the, uh, the publicans and harlots. He says, those are the ones you think are just oh, so wicked, so un, uh, unacceptable to God. They've repented. They've turned back to me. They're following me. And they're, they're entering the kingdom while you're still outside of it. These Pharisees who think they've done no wrong. He says, you're completely lost. You're not even, you're not even there yet. He says, that, he says, verily I say unto you that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. He's saying, and I think it's interesting, he says, before you. He's still giving them hope. He's, saying, he's still saying, you can turn and, and, and repent and be a part of this. You can change your heart uh, to, to, to truly follow me. But as long as you're stuck on your performance being what you're, you're so proud of, that your words and, and your uh, appearance to other people and looking real religious, he says, as long as you're holding to that, you're not a part of the kingdom. But you can still repent. So these people have already done it. These people you think are so detestable, they've already repented and turned, and they're a part of the kingdom, and you're still on the outside, haven't quite figured that message out. See, this isn't a new message. God's been saying this to the children of the nation of Israel for years. We look back at uh, Amos chapter 5. Here he says, I hate, strong language, isn't it? I hate, I despise your feast days. Now, these feast days they were doing were the things that God had set up for them to do. This was part of the law. This was part of what he had commanded them to do. And he's saying, I despise when you do that. I will not smell, I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. You can call for the congregation to come together and to worship me, and you can light the incense, you can burn the offerings. I don't enjoy any of that. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? To think that they're doing what, the, what God had told them to do, and he said, it doesn't mean anything. He says, though, though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beast. He says, you can do all these things that I've told you I want you to do, but I'm not going to accept them. Why? He goes on to say, take thou away from me the noise of thy song, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. He says, you can come to assembly. You can sing praises to me. You can play your instruments. That, the word vials there, I don't know how I'm pronouncing it correctly or not, but it is a word that has several meanings, but one of them is for a, a lyre or a musical instrument like a psalter. He says, you, you can sing all you want to. You can play all the beautiful music and say you're worshiping me. But I'm saying, get rid of it. It's just noise. It means nothing to me. He says, but let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. He's saying, you know, I'm, what I'm looking for is a change of heart. When he says that the judgment run down as waters, uh, you remember that he had set up the nation of Israel with a, a system of judges. When people had disputes and, and disagreements, they were to go to these judges, and the judges were to be the impartial. They were to look at this and say, okay, what is right here? But things had gotten to the point where people could pay the judge and, and get their ruling in their favor. Sound familiar? <laughs> and uh, so they, they had gotten to this point where the, the judges were just making a judge. And, and remember the story Jesus told that I mentioned so often is a story about the persistence of prayer. But this widow woman comes to the judge and she's wanting him to rule something that, that, is, that people have done to her. And he's like, go away, go away, go away. She didn't have any money to offer him. She didn't have anything for him. He's, he's like, I don't have time for you. That was the problem they were having is they were now so focused on other things that they were just ignoring the people who had no say, people who didn't have any chance. He's saying, let judgment run down as waters. 
That word judgment there is one for justice. Saying, let's, let's focus on doing the right thing with your heart, not what benefits you the most. He says, and righteousness is a mighty stream. The word righteousness there has to do with, with living a godly life. See, these, these judges, they were, they were you know, basically committing uh, fraud or, or uh, you know, crime there by allowing people to, to buy their judgments. He's saying, I would be more interested in you doing the right thing and, and, and not being noticed for it than to, to be this, this judge just ruling everything and, and you're doing it the wrong way. He says, I won't even accept your offerings. I don't want your worship. Instead of a show of worship, I want to see heart change. That's what he says. And then he goes on to say in verse uh, 25, Have you offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years of house of Israel? They had. They had offered offerings and sacrifices all the way through the wilderness. But apparently there were other things going on as well. He says, But ye have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and Tune, your images, the star of your God, which ye made to yourselves. He says, You brought me offerings. You brought me the, the, the sacrifices I demanded of you, but you were still worshiping these other gods. You were still pursuing all these other uh, so-called deities. He says, your heart wasn't on me. He says, therefore, I will cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus. Say the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Amos was giving them a message there, saying he's told you over and over to, to follow him. And you even act like you're doing it sometimes, but you really inside you weren't. Inside you were chasing all these other things. You know, I was thinking about that in our lives. We can say we're following God. We can even do things like go to church and 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 wear the Christian T-shirt and put the bumper sticker on our car and carry our Bible around and 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 we can talk and look and make sure everybody knows we're a Christian by the things that we say and the way that we look. But God says, what I want them to know is is that you're a Christian by the way that your heart is, by the compassion that you show, by the words that you speak, not the words that say look at who I am or praise God or whatever, but the words you speak to other people. Whether it show love or does it cut them down? Does it show the kindness or is it just gossip? He says, I care more about what's on the inside, what's coming out from the heart than I do any kind of a show of worship and a show of, 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 of claiming to be a follower of me. Their sin, even while masked by worshiping Yahweh, had to be punished because they weren't truly worshiping with their whole heart. So back to that story Jesus is telling, he says, you know, which one did the will of his father? They said, clearly the, for the first one. He says, that's where you fit in. You're that second son that this says, we're following God, but your heart is far from me. Your heart is, is, is not there. First John 3, 18, John writes, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed, in truth. He says, I'll live out our, our lives ought to live out our trust in God, our faith in him, our commitment to him. It ought to change our lives and what we do, not just what we say and how we look on the outside, what we really do and how we spend our time, how we spend our resources. James 1.26 says, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. He says, if you have somebody that, that, that claims to be very religious and, and oh, they're, uh, you know, they're just a good Christian, but yet they're really, they, they cut people down. They, they, they gossip about other people. Uh, their, their tongue is, is, is harsh to others. He said, if they can't even control their, their words, then their, their religion is just a show. It's just something they're, they're pretending to be. It's not real. He says, their, their religion is in vain. Matthew 7, Jesus tells us that there will be people 
who come to the end time when, when he's judging the uh, those who have trusted him and those who haven't. He says that, that not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. He says there's going to be people that, that call on my name, but they didn't really trust in me. They didn't really believe me. They just used it as a, a something, a, a label or an attribute that they wanted to be associated with. It was like having, you know, Nike on your shirt. They wanted to just, wanted to, okay, we're, we're with Yahweh. We're on team Yahweh. He says, they're going to come to me and they're going to say, Lord, Lord. He says, but I don't, I'm not going to accept them. He says, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils? Have we not done wonderful works? He says, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You see, salvation truly is as simple as putting our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. But the Bible makes it clear that, that if our lives aren't changed as a result of that, that we probably didn't really believe it when we did it. We weren't committing to him. We weren't really receiving his uh, authority in our life. We were just kind of using it as an insurance policy, a fire policy, if you will. Some people like to say, uh, get out of jail free card. He says, if it doesn't change our life, it wasn't real. You didn't really know him. Jesus goes on to explain it in more detail. He says, for John came to you in the way of righteousness. I already sent you someone to tell you that what you were doing wasn't right, but you wouldn't admit that you had sin in your life. You wouldn't admit that you were doing things or you, you held on to this idea of, no, we do all the good things. He said, you believed him not, but the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when you'd seen it, repented not afterwards, you might believe him. He signals, he singles out the most religious group of people that are there in front of him. He tells them that they're trusting in the wrong things. God wants us to be obedient, but he only wants it when it comes from the right heart. Listen to what he told the children of Israel in Isaiah. I mentioned he's been telling them this for years. And Isaiah, he, he tells some of Israel this. He says, but what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. Says a lot of that passage from Amos, doesn't it? He says, I, I'm, I'm tired of seeing you go through these motions of doing all this religious stuff. You know, these were things that he had commanded them to do. They, they were part of the covenant, but they were never intended to be the way of salvation. He says, when you come to appear before me, who has required this at your hand to tread my court? He says, who's forcing you to be here and do these types of things? He says, bring no more vain oblations. Those oblations being the, the offerings they could bring. He says, don't bring any more that are empty, that are just actions. He says, incense is an abomination unto me. You burn the, the, the candles and things, but I don't even want it. The new moons and Sabbaths, there again, the, the, the feasts and the festivals they had. He says, the calling of assemblies, getting together for worship, I cannot away with it. It's iniquity. He says, you, you're making a big show, looking real religious, but I see it as sin because you're coming before me pretending to be something that you're not, pretending to have a relationship with me that you really don't have, pretending that you're following me, but you won't let me change who you are on the inside. He says, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting, even the gathering together. He says, that, 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 that can be a bad thing. You're not doing it with the right heart. Says your new moons and your pointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. He says, all I see in all this show that you're making of, of trying to, to look like you're worshiping me, is I see the sin that's on your hands. He says, wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. He calls again here the things he's looking for in their life. The, it, was, it was actions. It was attitude. It was heart. He's a seek judgment. 
relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, and plead for the widow. He says, do things that really have compassion and care, the things that are true to the heart of God. But the, the things that, that, that God sees and says, yes, that's what I want to make sure that we're taking care of those who can't take care of themselves. That we're watching out for other people, that we're showing that love that the Father shows for us. These are the actions that flow from a heart in tune with God's love. He goes on to say, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He says, are you letting God change your heart from, from selfishness to, to loving others? From being able to, to love people that maybe society says you shouldn't really care about? To be able to love people that maybe you've just all your life never really cared for? He says, can you, can you grow to do that kind of love? Because that's what he wants you to do on the inside. Come, let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. There's that, that offer of salvation. When Christ died on the cross, he says he'll take our sins and he'll wash them away. It'll be white as snow. Although our sins are as crimson, they will be like wool. He says, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you should be devoured with the sword. The mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Again, he's talking there to the covenant with Israel saying, you know, our agreement is that you're supposed to, to obey me and do these things. And, and that's how when I promise to bless you. And if you don't, then I will have to punish you. He's saying, I'm interested in what's in the heart. Now remember, this whole parable, Jesus is answering a question about his authority. Which one did the will of his father? Well, clearly the one that, that, that maybe didn't act so well at the beginning, but he turned around and he did what he was supposed to do. He obeyed the father. What authority do we give Jesus in our lives today? They were challenging his authority. He's saying, this is your, your actions, your heart attitude is what's going to show me whether, whether or not you're giving me authority in your life. Is he our master? Is he just some decoration that we wear to feel good about ourselves? Does Jesus have authority in our lives that causes us to act, to do differently? That's our challenge this week. As we go out, examine our lives. Say, okay, God, am I truly letting you change who I am on the inside? Or am I merely doing things to, to make myself feel good about, okay, I'm a Christian. Okay, I've accepted Christ. Let's let him change our hearts. Let's let him you know, change from the inside. Let's, let's don't pretend that we've, we're now good because we've started doing things that the Spirit's leading us to do. And those things may include all the, the things that, that can also be viewed as, as uh, he, he said there, gathering together. We can get a lot out of being with other Christians. The book of Hebrews even says we need to gather together with other believers to, uh, to, to study the Bible and encourage one another. We need that, that camaraderie, but it can be a bad thing, but it can also be a good thing. Reading our Bible can be a, a great thing. It can be something the Spirit can use to speak to you each and every day. But it can also just be something we use to check off a mark and, and a notch on our belt and say, okay, now I'm a good person because I read my Bible every day. Let's make sure that our heart is in tune with His. We realize that, you know what, we're really in that, that first group, that publicans of ours. We're the ones that were His enemy at the beginning. And anything we can do now, anything He's working in us, any change we see in our lives, things that we didn't used to enjoy that we can now enjoy, is because He's changing us. Let's let him be the driver of everything that we do in our lives. And let's, let's be like that first son. That yes, we were opposed to him, we were his enemy, but now we're going to do the will of the Father.